On this episode of Samia VC, I sat down with Zach Ocean, founder and CEO of Bogota-based Alanis, Latin America's largest social commerce platform. I asked him about Colombia's left-wing former guerrilla fighter president-elect Gustavo Petro, and if his presidency will scare off venture capital in Colombia. I asked him how he got on Forbes 30 under 30 list, and if he has any advice for those who seek to also earn a spot on that list. I also asked him how Alanis customer acquisition cost is just $1. Is it something inherent about the region or something specific about Alanis? My name is Trip Gorman and find out all the answers and more on this episode of the SMIV DC podcast. Okay, Zach, could you start by telling the audience a little bit more about yourself and what Alanis is and why you decided to move to Bogota, Colombia, specifically to start Alanis? Yeah, absolutely. No, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, my name is Zach. I'm the CEO and founder of Relentis. Uh, I started out my career in, in the U.S., uh, worked a bit around the world in growth and startups, and then got to Columbia uh, about five years ago, originally to work with a venture capital fund based in Bogota called Polymath Ventures. Um, and I was really interested in exploring and understanding better kind of the e-commerce landscape in Latin America. I worked at an e-commerce startup in South Africa for some time um, and saw a huge opportunity in Latin America with high GDP per capita, a very digitally connected and social media savvy population, but very low kind of single digit e-commerce rates. And so I wanted to see if there was an opportunity there to build something. Um, I spoke some Spanish, I traveled a bit around the region. And so I tried it out, uh, moved to Colombia back in May of 2017 and kind of launched that part of my career. Uh, started investigating, looking at uh, different models and doing interviews around the region. Um, and kind of, we can talk about this a bit more later, but eventually landed on this idea that we could build a model which brought together uh, e-commerce shopping, purchasing online with some of the traditional ways that people buy in Latin America, which is a lot about buying from friends and family and within your community where there's kind of trusted, re trusted relationships and a recommendation-based purchasing process. And so I uh, saw that opportunity to kind of bring those worlds together of the traditional Latin American purchasing process and community-based buying with e-commerce and with technology. And that was what was led, what led to Alenis. And so today we are kind of fast forward three and a half years since we launched, four years since we launched. Um, today we have the largest social commerce platform across Mexico and Colombia, uh, which essentially means we have a network of um, hundreds of thousands of people who use our app as a way to get access to products that they then can promote and sell to their networks. So usually over Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp, um, they're able to get access to this portfolio of products and sell them to their networks, um, earning an income and giving us kind of access to and opening up e-commerce to a part of the population that really hasn't been buying online before. I read online that Alenis customer acquisition cost is $1. How did you get it that low? And is it something inherent about the region or something specific about Alenis? Yeah, so, so this is a really important part of the model. So kind of going back to this, you know, we really depend on this network of what we call sellers. These are mostly women um, who, who are looking for a way to earn extra income, who maybe have traditionally sold through catalogs uh, to their friends and family, and they have really strong networks. They have really strong networks, both in person, right, of the people who live around them and their close social networks in person, but also digitally, right, on WhatsApp, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And oftentimes they've already sold things to those people. These are very entrepreneurial women. They've, they've been selling products to their networks as a way to make extra income oftentimes for years. And so what we're able to do and what kind of makes this model so powerful and efficient in the way that we um, acquire clients is 
it costs us today about $10 to acquire an active seller. So we go out and we put ads on Facebook or Instagram to, to find these people who are interested in working with us. That costs us about $10. And then every one of those people who we bring on average brings about 10 clients. So that's sort of how we get to that dollar act, final acquisition cost, which allows has allowed us to scale really quickly and efficiently in Mexico and Colombia. And tell us a little bit more about why Lennis is potentially investing and in embedding fintech features directly into the app. Yeah, so, so ultimately our mission is, and, and what we're building in Lennis is this kind of hub and, and core platform for entrepreneurship across the region. So like I said, anybody can come download our app and without having to make an investment, without having to take on risk, they get access to this portfolio of products that they can sell. They get access to the logistics and the payment solutions so that they can get those products shipped to their clients and have their clients pay them for those, those purchases. Um, we give them all the training uh, and the incentives to help them grow their business. Um, so we have all those features already. And so there's a really natural kind of addition to that, which we've been exploring lately, which is, um, it's really interesting, actually 50% of the people who sell with us, the mostly women who sell with us, when they get to Atlantis, they've never had a bank account before in their life. Um, and so, and that's obviously something very regional about Latin America, it's very different than the US. But what that means is that they start earning with Atlantis, they start selling products and they have nowhere to send the money that they've earned to. And so today we help them by getting them connected with a bank account at a traditional bank where we set them up with another FinTech platform. But we see an opportunity to actually, since they already have the trust in Lennis and already working with us and earning income through Lennis, how can we connect and build actually an internal platform where they can earn that money into a, a mobile wallet inside of Lennis and then actually spend from there. So it's about kind of giving this, these financial services as an additional component of this entrepreneurship platform. Could you tell us a little bit more about how you went about finding venture capital for Lennis and what did you look for in an, in an investor? And so, so like I said, we launched the company about four years ago. We launched the platform to the public three and a half years ago. Um, and to date, uh, we've raised um, capital across four different rounds of funding. Um, we, we raised a two and a half million dollar seed round uh, and seed funding, six million dollars in our Series A. Um, and then there's a, a new round that we're soon to announce, but haven't announced yet that um, will we'll soon be public. But so we've gone through a few different rounds of fundraising. Um, what we've really looked for is a mix between strong local partners and funds who really know Latin America and who have built businesses in the region before. And so some examples of that is we were originally incubated by this fund who I worked for in Colombia called Polymath Ventures. Uh, which is very strong in Colombia. We have uh, Amador Holdings from Panama on the cap table, Alpha Four Ventures from Mexico, um, and now a few other funds from, from Mexico, Bridge Partners, who's also joined. So we have a, a great group of kind of angel investors and funds across Latin America who helped us get started and who really know the local environment. But even from the beginning, we combine that with a number of funds from the United States, from Asia, from Singapore, um, from Europe, who investors who had kind of this global perspective. And the reason this combination is so important is our model, so the social commerce model, uh, is a model that is very new, right? So the most kind of advanced social commerce models, the most successful ones are actually in Asia. They're in China and India. And so for us, there weren't any local funds in Latin America or even in the US who really understood this model. And so we wanted to make sure that we had people who had seen this model scale in Asia who could help us sort of apply that to the local dynamic in Latin America. Um, so I don't know if that answers, but that's sort of kind of how we built this initial base of funds. 
Today, we have some other great funds um, on the cap table, including FG Labs, Leo Capital, uh, Mishu, um, a really kind of stellar group of funds, like I said, from around the world who are backed us. Alenis was part of the original TechCrunch battlefield, Latin America in 2018. How would you characterize the change since then in Latin America's venture capital, technology, and startup landscape over that past five years? Yeah, absolutely. So, so that was, I mean, you're absolutely right. This was a crazy, uh, um, you know, a crazy shift that's happened over the past, since 2018. When, when we went to that startup battlefield competition, um, and that's actually, you know, I know uh, Nick from, Nick was on your podcast recently, and that's actually where we met back in 2018. There were very few, um, there were definitely startups in the region, right? There were plenty of ones that had, had been started before that, but a lot of the boom that happened in venture capital and the growth of startups in the region happened kind of 2019, 2020, 2021, um, more recently. And so I think what we've seen is we've seen a huge uptick in uh, online and digital penetration in the region, especially with COVID, right? More people online, more people using smartphones. Um, we've seen an interest grow in the use of social media. We've seen more capital come into the region uh, externally. And we, what we've seen is that a great group of new entrepreneurs who have come from some of these bigger traditional uh, Latin American tech startups like Rappi as it's gotten very big, uh, Mercado Libre, obviously, which is a huge Latin American startup, even companies like Kavak, like Clip, like Creditas, right? So some of the really big like unicorns at Nubank in Latin America that now they've had enough years where people are leaving from those start from those companies, you know, who are VPs or managers and they're launching their own companies and getting backed sometimes by the founders of them. And so it's this really like kind of virtuous circle in which there's been more capital, more founders, more mature businesses, a, a more digital kind of landscape um, across the region that's really helping to accelerate entrepreneurship and and a lot of the great companies that are being built here. Taking a step back and talking about the region, what did living through the pandemic in Colombia teach you about both Colombia and Latin America? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I split my time a little bit in the pandemic. Um, initially, when it first started, I was in Colombia, then I went back to the U.S. I was in the U.S. for a bit and came back to Colombia, and now have been in Mexico and Colombia for the past year. So I've been a bit all over the place. That's kind of my, my story in general. Um, I think what I saw was something that is very characteristic of Latin America, which is a huge amount of resilience, right? This is a region, and especially if you look at Colombia, which I, I know much better, um, it's a country that's gone through decades of different challenges, right? Ups and downs. Um, if you go back, way back to, you know, into the 1900s, we're talking about like, you know, political turmoil, uh, violence, um, you know, economic issues, and I think what that means is that it's a very resilient population. It's a population that's gone through a lot of hard times. And so I think what we saw during the pandemic was, yes, it was terribly difficult for a lot of people. Um, I think it caused a lot of hardship and pain um, across both Mexico and Colombia with the lockdowns, both economically and to the health systems. Um, but I think what I saw was people pushed through it, right? People made way, found ways to make ends meet. They found ways to, to push through. And I think in our case, you know, I got to work with and, and see our business grow from before the pandemic started, we had a few thousand people working with the, you know, a few thousand women who were selling with us on our platform. Um, and today we have you know, hundreds of thousands. And so I really got to see kind of how Atlantis played this role as being a place for people who were stuck at home, who maybe lost their jobs, who could sign up with us and find a way to make extra income. Um, and kind of supporting that community was something that obviously was really inspirational for us and, and kind of reiterated the impact that we're making with the business model we've, we've developed. 
you mentioned that you've been spending more time in Mexico. Could you tell us a little bit more about why you picked Mexico to expand after Colombia? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Mexico, we launched a year ago. And so what we saw was that we had launched in Colombia. We'd scaled really significantly. We really found strong product, product market fit in Colombia. And Mexico was a really kind of obvious next jumping off point. Mexico is a uh, relatively close. It has a relatively similar culture. There's a lot of the macroeconomics that look pretty similar. And it's also a market that's three times bigger than Colombia. So there's this huge opportunity in Mexico. So we decided to launch a year ago. Um, it's gone incredibly well. Uh, Mexico has grown actually much faster than Colombia ever grew. And it's catching up quite quickly to the size of Colombia, which is very exciting. Um, you know, in terms of challenges we've had here, the market really has been quite similar. Um, I think, you know, like always, when you expand to a new country, you have to learn about the local culture, you have to understand kind of how to adapt your growth cycles and your acquisition and your product. Um, but we've had a really great, you know, really great luck here kind of building out the team and, and being able to get going and, and scaling in Mexico over the past year. Okay, now talking more about yourself, you're on Forbes 30 under 30 list for 2022. I know a lot of people want to know this answer. How did you put yourself out there in a way that ensured that you were looked at to get this award and any other tips you have for uh, the, the future Zach Oceans that want to be on that list as well? It's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, it was definitely obviously an honor and I was excited to be a part of the list. I think as always, like, you know, these kinds of accolades are, are fun and nice to have, but ultimately the best thing and, and the most uh, fulfilling thing I do is, is building the business and, and growing it and working with our team. Um, to be totally honest, the, the, the four, I mean, the, yeah, the Forbes 30 under 30 selection, um, it's very heavily reliant on recommendations. Uh, so basically, if you know people that have been chosen for Forbes 30 under 30, uh, they can refer you every year and they take that very heavily into account. So I had some friends who I knew quite well, who had been on the list the year before and the year before that. And so they ended up referring me. And so I was chosen. I didn't even know I was chosen until the day the list came out. Um, they, didn't even, they didn't even tell me. It just like showed up on the internet. I was like, oh, cool. Um, so that's kind of the, but I think talking more about what it takes to get there, I think ultimately like, you know, what they look for is, and I think what, um, you know, I've been able to do is not necessarily much specific positioning, but just building a great business. Right. And I think, um, for a long time, a lot of people questioned and, and still do sometimes, but like, Zach, why are you in Latin America? Why are you building this business focused on women entrepreneurs? Why aren't you focused at, you know, Georgetown on your studies? Like, there's all kinds of things I've heard. And I think ultimately it's about really focusing, even from an early stage, having this vision, working really hard on it for many years. And I think those, these kinds of accolades eventually come as the business grows and becomes successful. What has been the hardest thing and then also most surprising thing since founding Alenis in Columbia? Um, I would say the hardest thing, um, you know, about growing any business, but I think specifically about growing um, a business in Latin America is kind of the balance between the opportunity that comes from being an emerging market with some of the challenges, right? And so there's this massive opportunity because you have markets that really haven't been disrupted yet. Um, you're not, you know, less competition. Um, you have great resources in terms of human talent, right? People are really amazing people to work with. Um, you can recruit onto the team who come from Colombia or Mexico who are working with you. So I think there's a lot of really great benefits to that. Um, but I think there's also the challenges, right? And capital raising in general is more challenging. You're in an environment that has more bigger macroeconomic fluctuations, right? There's more fluctuations politically, economically, 
uh, foreign exchange rates. And so you have to deal with kind of regulation. There's all these kind of different elements that you have to deal with that both vary country to country and oftentimes are different than what maybe the rules are in the US. And so I think, especially as a foreign founder, just having to be cognizant of that and making sure that we're you know very aligned with the rules and also making sure that we do things the right way kind of as we grow and scale. Um, and in terms of what's been kind of the most gratifying, what's been the best part of doing this is just honestly the, the, the people I get to work with. Um, and that's both our user base and our team. Um, we have an amazing team right now of over 200 people directly employed by Atlantis in Colombia and Mexico, developers, product managers, growth leaders, supply leaders, finance, accounting, HR. We've built an incredible team of people who are really dedicated and motivated by our mission who are working to make this huge impact, you know, giving millions of people an opportunity to build their business. And that's what drives them every day. And I've had the pleasure of working with and constructing this, this team who's so motivated towards this goal. Um, and then on the other hand, I get to work with and talk every day with an amazing group of users. Um, and these sellers who are mostly women, um, who I talk to all the time, who are asking me questions, who are giving us feedback, who are using Atlantis as a way to earn extra income, to make a living for their family um, and to grow their business. And we're really grateful for that and who give us great insights into how we can be better every day and the providers who provide the products we use. So um, it's really a pleasure to work with all these people. It's an honor um, and it's what gets me out of bed every day and makes me excited to be doing what we're doing. In that answer, you mentioned some of the political changes. Obviously, Gustavo Petro from the left-wing Humana Party was just elected president of Colombia. How do you think his presidency will affect Colombia's venture capital and tech ecosystem? So it's not just Colombia, right? We've seen a shift generally to the left across Latin American governments. Um, after the election that happens in Brazil, uh, we're, we're expecting to see kind of a left-wing president come to power. Actually, most of the countries in Latin America will have a left-wing president and most of the large ones. Um, this shift is one that's, I think, is generally pretty natural. There's been a lot of right-wing governments and leadership over the past decades across Latin America. I think people are looking for a change. Uh, Petro was obviously a big shift left for a country that had been traditionally more conservative. The reality is um, we're not worried. And I think if you talk to most entrepreneurs in the region, they're not worried. And, and the reason we're not worried is, first of all, there's checks and balances in place. Um, you know, There's a strong Congress, there's a strong court. Um, there's protections in place also, and I think pressure from business, big business in Colombia, which will prevent things from, I think, going haywire. Um, and, you know, at the same time, the work that we're doing doesn't change, right? The population doesn't change. The opportunity doesn't change. We're going to keep working every day towards that mission. Um, and yes, whether, is it possible that there's more fluctuations in the exchange rate? Maybe, is it possible that there's maybe different regulation um, towards businesses or towards taxes? Yes, that's also possible. Um, but ultimately, you know, those are things we can we can figure out. And ultimately, we're going to be working across Colombia, Mexico, and the future countries we expand to to keep pushing towards our goal. Finally, I must ask Peter Thiel's famous question, but with a uniquely Samia VC twist: What important truth about Colombia or Latin America do very few people agree with you on? Yeah, no, it's a, it, it, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think I would go back to something I said earlier, which, and I think there's, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, back and forth on this and, and disagreement on this point. But um, I think ultimately it is more fulfilling in a lot of ways to be an entrepreneur and to be building in Latin America than it is to be in the U.S. And 
why is that? I think if you look at the U.S., and this isn't to bash people, who are, there's plenty of people working on very interesting problems and building very cool businesses in the U.S. I have plenty of friends who are working in great American, you know, startups in the U.S. and Europe. But what you have is you have a lot of industries that have been already disrupted by technology. You have a lot of startups that have already grown to massive scale. You have a lot of um, innovation that's already happened in traditional businesses which have already been disrupted. And so when you go to start a business, oftentimes you end up sort of building maybe in a niche or a niche of a niche that can be a very valuable business. But I think what really is special about building Latin America and, and where I feel like there's something totally unique that you can't get in a lot of developed markets and that does happen in emerging markets is just these huge industries that have yet to be disrupted. I mean, in our case, we're attacking pretty directly this direct selling business, right? This, this catalog sales business, Natura, Jambalo, Belcorp, these multi-billion dollar kind of like family owned um, or traditional catalog businesses across Latin America that before we started back in 2018, 2019, nobody had ever touched. They'd been that way for 40 years. And so we get this opportunity to take this massive $30 billion industry and attack it and build a better solution and in doing so impact millions of lives. And that's something really special. And I think something that people uh, don't always recognize or, or agree with related to, to, to the challenges that also are related to building Latin America. I think it is special. Well, Zach, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And that concludes episode two of the Samia VC podcast with Zach Ocean. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to learn more at samia.vc and check out our YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Music podcast pages. That's it for me, Trip Gorman, host of the Samia VC podcast.